We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines. I'm Neil Bradley. This is the SOT Radio Network. With me again is another full house. We've got Joe. Hi there. Elan. Hey, everyone. There he is. And Harrison. Hi, everyone. And William. Hello, wonderful people. Hello, wonderful William. So this week, well, first of all, this week, this week last year, Syria was kind of big in the news, but it was in Syria. But it was also around this time last year that the UN General Assembly was about to take place in New York City, at which Putin gave the speech, basically berating the US and its policy in the Middle East over the last 15 years. And then, of course, the Russian intervention in Syria. So it's kind of, again, a similar pattern this week. A year later, we've, had, we've got an explosive situation in Syria after what happened last night. And we've got the next 71st UN General Assembly take, beginning on Monday. While bombs of some unknown origin are going on less than away from the UN building, in fact. So, what's going on here? Let's open with what happened in Syria last night. Latest is... Oops. Yeah, it was a mistake. Sorry. Um, we've got some 80-plus dead Syrian soldiers in the first, I think, accidental or deliberate, either-or, attack by the U.S. directly against the Syrian forces. Yeah, the narrative is, is this. We, the USA, are being engaged in a war, a proxy war, by through the use of mercenaries, hired, uh, trained, funded on mercenaries, tens of thousands of them from dozens of different countries that we shuttled into um, Syria, but uh, beginning four or five five years ago, 2011, to try and overthrow Assad. And all through that period, we never shut up every day almost in the media saying Assad must go, Assad's a brutal dictator, Assad's killing his own people, Assad's evil, evil, evil. Basically, it was a repeat of the, of the Saddam Hussein situation uh, leading up to the Iraq war. And so they made no mistakes or no, no uh, secret of the fact that they really, 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 really wanted to get rid of Assad for the past five years. And all of these jihadi proxy forces in Syria have been attempting to do that. And the Syrian army under the control or under the authority of the Syrian government that the U.S. wanted to get rid of. Now, for the first time, at least officially, the U.S. actually bombs the Syrian army uh, troops from the air. And anybody is meant to expect that it was a mistake mm-hmm. or meant to believe that it was a mistake. It's kind of a farce if you just simply look at the context. But of course, most people forget, even when they're talking about the actual war that's ongoing, they can't remember really, or they apparently seem to, to not remember the context 
in which the war began and why it continued and who the actual forces were are that are fighting. People seem to forget that uh, at one time, five years into a, a manufactured kind of civil war, a proxy war by the USA, and, and they don't... I mean, and I'm talking here not just about the mainstream media, of course, the mainstream media just spins nonsense all the time uh, and lies, but I'm talking about even all uh, media out today. Um, I was just listening to, from a couple of days ago, an RT uh, program that some people may have watched called um, Crosstalk with Peter Lavelle, which is basically focused pretty much every time it airs on on the shenanigans between um, interject, talk over each other and that kind of thing and give their opinion on what's going on. And none of those people, even the ones that are, he obviously selects a few people who are all pro, the pro-Russia uh, stance or who give voice to the pro-Russian stance. And even those people could not, at no point, point during the 25 or 30 minute program, pointed out that the U.S. has been trying to get rid of Assad from the very beginning. You know, they were talking about the details of ISIS and, you know, the FSA and these different groups and getting all complicated. As if they're objective forces in themselves. Yeah, and nobody just simply said, hang on a minute, can we go back to the beginning? What's the whole rationale, the the foundation of this entire conflict and say what it's actually about? It's about a U.S. West slash NATO slash Western attempt to overthrow the government of Bashar al-Assad. They haven't changed from that goal, clearly. They're still attempting to do it. So in that context, when the U.S. military overtly bombs the Syrian uh, army, well, anybody who believes the Pentagon when they say, oh, we would never intentionally do that, sorry... It's just got to be crazy or extremely misinformed or uh, have a very bad memory. Mm-hmm. Even in a more specific context of the last week, never mind the overall conflict. Maybe you can correct me here, but I think the ceasefire agreement from September 12th was seven days cessation hostilities including the Russians would agree to stop airstrikes against whoever and also the Americans, right? Has anyone, to your knowledge, conducted any airstrikes in that time? You know, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that airstrikes have been going on. Um, as far as I know, the deal was just that um, yeah. after after a week of this um, of this ceasefire, then... The Syrians would stop airstrikes over certain specific zones, and those would be taken over by this joint implementation group of the U.S. and Russia. But as far as I know, um, you know, I I haven't heard that all airstrikes were called off for the week. So I don't know. If no, sure I, don't, I don't think they were because the ceasefire was only about the potentially, possibly. Uh, moderate rebel, quote-unquote, groups. There was never a ceasefire against ISIS. Mm-hmm. So airstrikes would, whatever airstrikes were planned, would have continued against ISIS. Okay. I ask because I just wonder if the U.S. could even plausibly say, well, we thought we were going after ISIS. Well, they did. 
when they shouldn't have. Yes, they could have. Yeah, because okay. yeah, ISIS well, but was never on the agenda. There's more. There's more to just this specific yep. situation than than that. If you look at Derazor and the situation there, um, like for for listeners that don't know, this is a small. Well, it's a city in East Syria that has been surrounded by uh, by ISIS for like the last three years or something like that. It's like the only. The only little area in this eastern province that is held by the Syrians, by the Syrian army. So this town, this city, has been besieged by ISIS for these past years, and it's the situation has been pretty much the same for this whole time. And the the specific area that was hit by these airstrikes, um, I'd have to double check with some more sources, but as far as I know, it was consistently held by the Syrian army. So. Anyone that has been following the war presumably would know that this was a, a Syrian army position. So the fact that the that the Americans can even p- claim an intelligence failure is ridiculous because this was a, I mean, it would it would have been completely obvious that this was a location held by the Syrian army, and so the, and they even said that they in the initial accounts when they said that they were they thought they were targeting ISIS. They said that they'd been following this convoy for like days and and like hours and days. So they presumably, you know, knew exactly where it was coming from and who it was. When obviously they didn't. So the whole story just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, it, they couldn't possibly have been thinking that they were attacking ISIS when, like, the only <laughs> the only possible people in this area were the Syrian army. And of course, to, right after this attack, which was a um, like multiple airstrikes over a period of 50 minutes involving four planes, you know, two jets, two um, A-10s. I, I don't know what, uh, what purpose those types of planes serve, and a, and a drone. Um, then after, so after these attacks, ISIS just happens to launch this offensive and retake a whole bunch of, area, a whole, uh, a whole bunch of regions like in and around this, this area. And so it really looked like um, if you read the the Syrian accounts from people on the ground, they said this looked like air support, which is exactly what it was. <clears throat> so you look at all these details, and just like you guys were saying, there's no possible way you can look at this and say that it was just a mistake. And Deir Zur is an airport, so that's kind of why it's it's important. And it does seem incredulous that the U.S. could be so um, inept that they would make such a mistake. I mean, they have ground operatives that are calling in strikes and so they should know exactly where they're going to be hitting right and, and as you guys mentioned that uh, there is in, uh, in in eastern uh, Syria not that far from um, from the Iraqi border and a lot of these uh, a lot of jihadis are kind of coming also have been coming from from Iraq you know which where the US has quite a, a significant presence uh, in fact this airstrike that happened on Deir came from the U.S. planes came from Iraq into eastern Syria. Uh, so I can imagine that the U.S. would want to maintain a certain kind of staging grounds, let's say, in eastern Syria uh, mm-hmm. for their rebels, uh, you know, and that would include have them having access to cities and, and to population centers, basically, um, to be able to then, you know, push them further east to continue their the U.S.'s jihadi proxy war on 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 eastern yeah, because uh, yeah, ISIS pretty much is uh, going to be d- defeated in Aleppo. 
So U.S. is going to have to look for right. somewhere else to start building up something here. That's probably why they went with the ceasefire in the first place, because they already knew Aleppo was lost and they didn't want to lose face. Uh, right. This airstrike is so flagrantly in breach of the Russian-U.S. agreement that I'm wondering who really did it. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. did it, but what... Uh, to give you an idea here of what I'm, where I'm going, the Russian ambassador to the UN gave a press conference after an emergency meeting called by Russia last night in New York mm-hmm. and said, among other things, the Pentagon or the White House. Right, and that's a good that's a good question, and it's also historically uh, it's historically um, what's the term relevant, I suppose, or um, because, it's been a recurring question. Not just a recurring question, but it's it, it's it has echoes, let's say, of things that have happened in the past, and of course, as we've mentioned previously previously in the show, and and as other people have been saying, the U.S. has basically, or in fact. As the U.S., as the Pentagon itself has has more or less said, they've uh, kind of dusted off their Cold War playbook book in terms of uh, over the past number of years in terms of their strategy for dealing with Russia. Uh, so they're using the same tactics uh, and taking the same approach to Russia today as the as the U.S. did towards the Soviet Union. And what I'm referring to specifically here is that um, in the late fifties and Early 1960s, when um, uh, when Kennedy was president and was pushing a kind of uh, uh, for essentially attempting uh, making peace overtures towards uh, the Soviet Union, his entire his agenda was to kind of change the the nature of the Cold War and to heat up the Cold War in the sense of make it go away, as as in stop the conflict effectively between uh, East and West. Um, and his negotiations and his talks with Khrushchev at the time, uh, some part of the uh, American military or uh, slash intelligence establishment uh, at that time attempted to scupper uh, peace talks that were going on between Kennedy and Khrushchev. He <clears throat> deliberately, this is in one of the books on, on, on JFK, uh, deliberately downing a U-2 spy plane over Russia right at the time where they were having, uh, you know, they were talking peace basically together. And this was seen uh, later years of as as something the U.S. establishment really trying to solve the relations because when that happened, because uh, Kennedy had already made a agreement or they had made an agreement with each other that uh, there would be no um, basically spying in that sense, from from planes, from high altitude planes on on the Soviet Union. Uh, so while uh, just after Kennedy makes this agreement, not too long afterwards, uh, a spy a spy plane crashes in Russia, uh, and this was a big problem for Khrushchev at the time because it felt like he was um, he was lying, that it felt to him it was evidence that Kennedy wasn't trustworthy. You mm-hmm. know, so that was actually um, Eisenhower in nineteen fifty nine. Oh yeah, they had a big um, peace conference coming up in Paris, and it involved also part of the deal was that Eisenhower would be the first U.S. president to visit Russia Uh since World War II. So that visit was scuppered; he was disinvited or whatever, and then the conference never took place. Right, because of the plane. Okay, so it was right before Kennedy. Yeah. So um, 
but that that's a it's an example a parallel effect with what's happened today you know um maybe some elements of the of the white house say the state department carry etc are actually trying to come to some accommodation with russia or syria but there's the hawks in the background in the pentagon and the military who are not happy with this and who mm-hmm. have have the wherewithal to kind of carry out this kind of a a strike. I mean, it's very. It, I mean, it's it should be no. It's not a nothing new to people who who know what's going on or have been listening to the show or reading south.net that the U.S. has done this even in the past number of years has done this repeatedly, where they've attempted to they attempt sour relations between between um, Russia and any other country that they can they can conceivably do that do that with. Uh, most notable one, obviously, is recently with uh, just. Late last year, with the with Turkey and Russia, uh, someone, as we kind of still maintain, someone uh, within the U.S. establishment shot down that Russian plane. It wasn't the Turkish military. The plane took off from in Sirlik Air Base in Turkey, uh, which is which has quite a number of U.S. military planes there. So, uh, to, as of today, we still don't know for sure. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. Let's say that. Um, that the Turkish government at the time uh, under Erdogan did not sanction the order to shoot down that Russian plane, that it was effectively a U.S. <clears throat> military decision to do what it did for a while anyway, which was wreck relations between Turkey and Russia. Russia surely knows all this about how things operate in the U.S. Yeah. power system. What is their... What might be their strategy behind all this? This isn't the first time that a ceasefire has gone pear-shaped because the U.S. couldn't, couldn't in quotes, get a handle on its proxy forces in Syria when they could, of course, if they really tried to. Um, oh. It's fairly obvious what game the U.S. is playing. They mm-hmm. want to keep the proxy war going in order to remo- remove Assad. What might be the counter game? I, I, think that's a good, I think that's a good question, Neil. I think part of the answer is that the Russians are trying to, first off, do everything they can do to avert a greater conflict um, and bending over backwards to do so, but also you know, giving the U.S. the opportunity and opportunities, as they just did, uh, to shoot themselves in the foot with their belligerence. It's almost as though uh, the Russians understand you know, what, um, what the U.S. is after quite completely and, and are allowing them to, uh, you know, they're always kind of <clears throat> firmly uh, but diplomatically calling them out. So, you know, like with this latest ceasefire agreement, the U.S. didn't want to divulge the conditions. And uh, the Russians are, are saying, you know, Putin's saying, well, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to divulge the conditions of the ceasefire agreement. Um, so there, there's this, you know, they, it, this enables Russian, uh, the Russian government to continue to uh, let this kind of, um, this leak of information about the U.S.'s processes, uh, about their real aim. And this is, 
you know, this latest example in Desur is just another uh, huge kind of um, uh, example of how, in fact, the U.S. is uh, going about this all wrong and insincere in its intention to defeat ISIS. Yeah, Russia is showing a great amount of patience here. Um, they're not coming back belligerently saying, oh, we're going to you know, take retaliation and all this and that. Um, no, they just simply take it step by step and, and show the duplicity of what the U.S. is doing. And, uh, you know, they wanted to bring a presentation to the U.N. Council when it started on, but it got canceled because the U.S. flatly did not want anything to be shown of that agreement. <laughs> well, um, yeah, <clears throat> in, in the aftermath of this, uh, of this bombing yesterday, of Syrian forces by the Syrian army by the U.S. Um, just today, there was a uh, a UN um, Security Council emergency meeting of the U of the UN Security Council, and the uh, Russian ambassador Vitaly Cherkin actually made actually publicly released some of the details of that document. That's like just you know within the last hour or two. Mm-hmm. Oh well, because yeah, he. I haven't seen that yet, but last night when uh, when he walked out of the the chamber because Samantha Power was acting like a a lunatic, <laughs> like he ra- read just like two rabid dog shit. <laughs> yeah, like a rabid dog. He read two paragraphs, but uh, but then when they asked, when the reporters asked if they'd release the whole thing, and he said there are no plans to release the whole thing um, unilaterally. So, but of course that could change based on circumstances. So, did you happen to to? read or hear what those details were, Joe, or is it just kind of an announcement that that happened? Uh, well, the reports just say that he cited extracts from the document, from the agreement between Washington and Moscow in July. Um, that sounds like it could be a reference to his press conference last night. Because yeah. um, he did quote two paragraphs and spoke in general terms about what was agreed on. Yeah, no, this, this I think, well, the UN Security Council meeting was last night, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I'm confused. There was a meeting and then it was cut short. Right. Is that the council one? Uh, I'm not sure uh, whether it is. No, they were having that. one on Friday. They were supposed to have one on Friday and it got canceled. Right. Okay, yeah, that one got canceled. But anyway, they, they just read out some, um, some, some, some excerpts. He said uh, basically the text is, you know, about the goal of the joint implementation group is to establish broad coordination between the United States and the Russian Federation. The, the two parties will work together within the framework in order to defeat Al-Nusra Front and Daesh. They will work in order to maintain a ceasefire and support a political transition process described in the Resolution 2254 by the UN Security Council. Um, I'm not sure if that's significant that it's actually um, they publicly said Al-Nusra Front and Daesh. That that's the agreement. Well, maybe just to give some more context, maybe we can talk a bit about the the ceasefire and what's happened to lead up to this event, um, because the the agreement that was made on September 9th had been worked out in the months previous, so like two to three months they'd been working on this in you know in meetings back and forth um, in various places. Then on the ninth, you know, after these what like fifteen hours of negotiations. They made the agreement. Now, immediately there, you could see that it was it wasn't an easy process because they'd agree on something, and apparently, like after every 
proposed revision, Kerry would leave the room and call Obama and Ash Carter to get their their approval, and then he'd come back, and, and they would just back and forth like this. And then the White House um, it, uh, re- apparently took them like nine hours to finally make the final decision to go ahead with it. So there was a lot of um, hesitation on the Americans' part to to actually go through with the agreement. But, you know, they sign it. So the the from what we know about the agreement, the plan was to first test out this ceasefire for two days. Then, if that works out, renew it for another two days. And then, if that works out, renew it for another three days. And so the first two segments of that, the, the first two-day portions, were worked through. Russia again proposed the the ne- for the next seventy two hours, and that was on Friday. And um, despite you know the two hundred ceasefire violations on the part of rebels all over the country, the Russians were still saying no. This is okay. Um, it's still you know this is an acceptable level for us, and we're still willing to go through with it. We can still call it a success, and that means on Monday, so tomorrow, that we would then you know start. Uh, the procedure to set up this joint implementation implementation group, and that would mean, you know, unprecedented Russian-U.S. Uh, cooperation on airstrikes against designated, you know, Al Nusra, Al Qaeda targets, and ISIS. And so that's where it was. That's where it was staying. But on Saturday, so before this airstrike took place, if you look at what was going on in the last couple days, there, the both the Russians and the Americans were both putting out statements. Um, of concern over you know the things that might cause the deal to br- to to fall uh, to what's the word fall through or be cancelled, and the Americans were saying that um, Assad and the Syrian government weren't allowing humanitarian aid to come um, UN aid to come from Turkey through down uh, into Aleppo into east uh, east Aleppo the rebel held parts there because that was part of the agreement through the castile road yeah, the castile road and so the un apparently had 40 trucks all waiting and they hadn't gotten their uh you know permission slips yet and so the americans were really uptight about this and saying well this is a you know this is a make or break deal here either the the syrians let us come through or the deal's off now that's what they were saying what they weren't saying is that the the the, the route like william had just said by which they were to get to, to aleppo was this road called the Costello Road. Now, this is the road that was rebel-held until several weeks ago when the Syrians retook it, and that's what allowed them to encircle uh, East Aleppo. So the Syrians had control of this road. The problem is, is that, you know, on all sides of it, you know, the the rebels are pretty close, and there's been, there's been fighting this whole time. So part of the agreement, naturally, of the ceasefire was that, first of all, there'd be a ceasefire, so both sides would stop shooting at each other, and that this road this humanitarian corridor would be demilitarized. So all heavy weapons would be removed and there'd be kind of this kind of staggered uh, amount of, of forces and weaponry, kind of like what you see on, in Ukraine with the, with the front line there and, the, and the, the Minsk agreements to remove heavy weaponry. Now the Syrians removed all their heavy weaponry, but the rebels didn't. And not only that, there were groups that were seen to be planning um, basically an offensive to retake the Costello Road. So these are the American rebels that are not only refusing to abide by the ceasefire, they're actually attempting to um, escalate the situation and launch an offensive on this road. So naturally, if you think about this, 
the Syrians w- wouldn't, in their right mind, provide like tell the uh, tell the UN, okay, we'll send your trucks now, when the the situation isn't safe and they can't guarantee the safe passage of uh, of this convoy. It really was the the rebels' fault, and by extension, that means it was the U.S. that wasn't that wasn't allowing this convoy these convoys to come through because the rebels weren't uh, demilitarizing; they weren't following the ceasefire. Now, on the other hand, the Russians were saying um, that the Americans had done nothing, had not fulfilled any part of their agreement in the you know the so-called unmingling or whatever the separating the Nusra from the other so-called moderate rebels and that there were all these ceasefire violations going um, that were happening, I think that was their main point of contention, that they that this wasn't happening. They Basically, there was no progress on the side of the Americans and the U.S.-backed rebels. So this there was this back and forth going on for this day or two. And then what Churkin re- re- revealed after that U.N. Security Council meeting, <coughs> excuse me, was that the situation had been taken care of. The Syrians and, and the, the Russians and everyone involved basically came up with this super complex route to get the humanitarian aid <clears throat> through the Costello Road. So I guess you know they figured out um, you know the safest way they could do it given the the situation on the ground. And that this morning was the the planned um, um, the planned time for these these first convoys to get through. Now I haven't read any follow up on that. But if all of that is true, then the only point of contention the Americans had was solved yesterday, probably before the before the airstrikes. And after that, if that were to happen, they would have no reason for having any kind of problems with the ceasefire agreement, at least no reason that they could publicly state. It was basically their only propaganda point. So if that were to happen, then they would have to go through with this joint implementation group, at least, you know, just on the by virtue of the fact that they'd you know signed this document, so there's all this going on. This so this is this is when this airstrike happens, while all this is going on, and going back to what you guys were talking about about um, you know who's really in charge here, what's going on? It's like are we talking to the White House or the Pentagon? Well, the presumably you know people like Kerry and the people working on these negotiations, at least by virtue of the fact that they signed the document, you know perhaps they. They or who who knows who actually wanted this thing to happen. They're actually looking for some kind of solution that they can work with. Um, on the other hand, the Pentagon and like Ash Carter, as soon as this agreement was signed, they've just been consistently saying it's a horrible idea and they won't they won't abide by it. So there's uh, mm-hmm. there's this, it, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, um, you know, we, what other country would allow their underlings to basically? Um, What's the word? You know, go right. against the the will of the of the great leader, and so they were right. basically saying, "Yeah, no, the ceasefire is a joke. We're not going to do it." And then the U.S. military, you know, launches this airstrike. So just a bit more context there of how this all played out. Well, obviously, yeah, obviously the uh, the State Department does not have really much control over the U.S. military. The Pentagon has control over the U.S. military. So if there's if there's people in uh, and, and Ash Carter being the Secretary of uh, Defense is, you know, the CEO of the Pentagon, yeah, that more or less controls the U.S. military. That's you know he's the civilian uh, head of the military structure in the U.S. Uh, whereas um, the President and the State Department, John Kerry and stuff, are the civilian heads of the civilian 
uh, power structure in the U.S. So, I mean, there's obviously some kind of uh, infighting or disagreement going on there. And the bottom line is whoever controls the military, like in most countries, are the ones who get to say what the military does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're backed by probably by a lot of other politicians who like war and a lot of who want war to continue. So, I mean, I can imagine... Uh, for example, Boeing and Raytheon and Northrop Grumman and, and big defense contractors like that in the U.S. are all very unhappy about the word. They're always unhappy about the word ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm sure they don't like to hear it in Syria because it spells an end to their bilking of the of the U.S. public purse, effectively, i.e., U.S. Taxpayer, taxpayers' money that goes directly to these weapons manufacturers. Uh, when uh, a war is happening because they make all the weapons and the weapons have to be used and you've got to keep using the weapons so that the corporations can keep getting their profits. So there's a very simple motivation, uh, very uh, prosaic motivation uh, yeah, the in, Pentagon for having war, for, for continuing <clears throat> war. Yeah, the Pentagon doesn't want to be seen as having to work with Russia. I mean, with all the anti-Russian rhetoric that's going on in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, the last thing they want to see is be involved with Russia to solve a problem. <laughs> right, because when you solve problems, it's no more money, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. the money dries up when there's no more, when there's peace. Peace might break out, and that's a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And as long as um, as long as the U.S. Yeah. doesn't. Uh, or finds justifications or propaganda uh, to not uh, solidify cooperation with Russia. They can use, you know, events like um, like this recent bombing, and they can, you know, there's this idea of plausible deniability. Uh, and so, like what CENTCOM uh-huh. is saying is, hey, you know, uh, we contacted Russia shortly before the bombing, and they said it was going to be okay. And, uh, and Russia's... Mm. Russia saying, you never called us, you never contacted us about this. And so, you know, it, right. it, this is another, uh, this is another thing that the, that the public reading this narrative has to decide on. Uh, mm-hmm. Were the, were the Russians the actually, you know, it sounds plausible, uh, but, but it's another one of these lies that, that supports um, the idea that it was just an accident because they're not communicating right. properly. And now well, Australia is, the whole situation. Now they're kind of pointing yeah, at Australia. Yeah, it, was, it was Australian jets that that did the attack, and so there's another way they well, can point yeah. a finger somewhere else. <laughs> right. Well, that's they, they do that on purpose, right? That's the coalition of the of the pusillanimous, you know, um, <laughs> where, where they get get other people in with them, and then they can say, "Well, we all did this. Who are you going to blame?" You know, I mean, it's not just America. America doesn't work alone. America works. The world community did this. International yeah. community. Mm-hmm. Uh, America worked with its partners on this. We all partnered together. So what are you going to do? You're going to take this all on Russia, huh? But what I don't understand about the whole situation is, by them doing this, if let's assume, like we've been assuming that that it was deliberate, um, there's no point in simply doing that once if you don't intend on continuing uh, doing that. I.e., you, you don't intend to actually openly declare war on the Syrian military. Uh, because you do it once, and then you turn around and say, oh, it was a mistake, sorry, we would never do that. Well, you can't go ahead and do it again without looking like either a complete another incompetent idiot or a liar. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't see what real benefit there was the accent point, the competence point of view, what benefit there was to the U.S. to simply do this and then say it was a mistake, you know, not bomb the Syrian army and then say, well, we've decided we're going to attack the Syrian army from now on. Uh, what does it achieve? They killed 80 soldiers. That's it. You know, I have an idea. Give us it. Lay it out there. It'll drive a wedge between Russia and Syria and cause Syria to doubt Russia's role as effectively the executor of its will in the inter- in, in this whole show. Because when Russia and the U.S. make a deal, Syria agrees to lay down arms. Yeah. But now its soldiers are going to be like, whoa, I'm not sure about that. Mm. And then the U.S. can say, well, look, the Syrian army isn't upholding its end of the deal. Next around. Yeah. And you get a devolution of the whole affair. Possibly, but it's a bit desperate, you know. Because in that sense, you know, you'd expect that the Syrian army is, is fairly loyal and they'll do what they're told. And if, if the Syrian... I mean, you think that communication between Russia and the Assad government is very close. All they would have to do is simply explain that, what you just said, explain the intention, uh, explain the attempt to divide. If someone's trying to divide two people, chatting uh, against each other, those people, two people simply have to say, listen, see your man there, he's trying to divide us. Let's not bother. Let's not give him what he wants. As long as both of them agree with that, well, then it doesn't work. Right? So, and you think that the Syrian army would, at least the uh, the Syrian army brass would be told that as well, and that they would understand, you know. But I don't know. I'd just like to see, I'd like to see the U.S. do that again, you know, and then see what they say, you know. I mean, obviously they can't do it again. It's totally uh, um, implausible for them to to try and claim, oh, we made a mistake again, though. <laughs> well, uh, you know, so it, there's um former intelligence officer for MI5 named Annie Mashan, who did a recent interview on RT. And she put out there the idea that uh, it was indeed an intentional and planned airstrike on, on the part of the U.S. And that the reason they did it was to kind of send a message to the so-called moderate rebels that they were still being supported. Uh, so yeah. uh, I, I don't know how plausible that is, but... Uh, it, it is interesting. She's a former intelligence officer. And, um, you know, the interesting thing yeah. is that, that, that uh, <laughs> the U.S. troops have been kicked out of uh, regions right. that are being held by Turkey not so long ago. And, and even the moderate rebels have a, an utter disdain for U.S. forces uh, who, mm-hmm. who were sent running with their tails between their legs. So right, well, that that's plausible. So I think that's a plausible scenario, actually, because, like, as you mentioned, there was that event a couple of days ago where about six or seven uh, pickup truck fulls of uh, American uh, special forces types, probably mercenaries, uh, were kicked out of a, a town near the uh, near the Turkish border that was being held by rebels who are effectively U.S. backed rebels. Rebels. And they were kicked out under threat of being shot and killed. And there was also a video of, of these jihadis shouting death to America and dirty America and all sorts of bad things about America. And um, so it's interesting to th- to think that or, or to posit that uh, the, these, these rebel types that have been supported for so long by the U.S. and armed and trained, etc., are now a bit worried that the U.S. and Russia are actually serious about teaming up against them and they're worried for their 
having an existential crisis. And it's possible, yeah, I mean, it's plausible, I suppose, that this bombing of the Syrian army was a message to say, listen, don't uh, don't worry, we got your back, you know. Yeah. We're, uh, it's a coded message basically saying, you know, don't, don't, don't worry, our real enemy still is the Syrian army, mm-hmm. you know. Well, Russian lawmaker um, Gavrilov, um, he uh, he says that that now this this incident can provide sufficient ground for the Russia to support the Syrian government in its demand to, of withdrawal of all foreign forces, primarily U.S. and U.K. troops from Syria, as well as a U.S.-led coalition uh, flights. And uh, you know, this is he says this is uh, why we need to demand that the U.S. adheres to the agreement and drastically enhance our aerial defense capabilities because it does uh, these airstrikes do th- could threaten Russian military bases. That's another big oops. <laughs> the only way that threat's gonna have the only way that threat will have any um beef behind it is if the Russians um reintervene in Syria, at least to the level they were doing so for six months before they formally pulled out a lot of their troops and mm. planes. So that that is the question. What does Russia do next? So we'll see. We've got a couple of calls on the line. Yeah. Let's take... We've got a couple of calls, so we'll take the first one. So hold on there, second caller. And first caller, um, are you on the line? Can you hear us? Yes, this is Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Welcome back. Hey, Stephen. Yes, um, a couple of thoughts. Um, I look at the scenario of the uh, agreement, and then there were um, the uh, insistence of the U.S. to not publish part of it. Now... Mm -hmm. I suspect that that the component that the U.S. does not want to come to the fore um, is something that would um, there's a component there that would essentially divide the um, the terrorist fighters. Um, It would be a sellout. It would be seen as a sellout from one faction that would cause infighting among these uh, these uh, these mercenaries groups. Mm -hmm. Right. um, Excuse me. I, I think you're on to something there, Steve. I think you're on to something there. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a, this whole thing's really puzzling. And then um, as we went to this uh, this situation yesterday, um, deplorable. I'm sickened by it. Um, there's um, I've made Syrian friends, you know, online, and I, I have a Syrian family that I'm friends with, and and these people are really going through the ringer with their with their with their children their kids, their loved ones fighting on the front lines and uh, year after year. And it just, it, it just sickens me. But the other thing um, I thought was interesting is that today is the uh, Russian elections. And I think that, um, I think that Putin, when he, when he draw drew down um, the, the amount of engagement, I think that was um, in anticipation of these elections. Cause the last thing that, um, Russia wants is to be involved in a uh, a quagmire that's that's similar to Afghanistan, and um, so I think that after these elections are finished, um, we might see something more definitive in long term um, develop with Russia's um, Russia's involvement in this conflict. Um, it's just a possibility. But then the other other component I wanted to mention is that there were the stabbings in this mall in St. Cloud, Minnesota. 
mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. on the part of somebody who claims allegiance to uh, ISIL. So um, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very reticent to like say that there that this guy was a tool of uh, MK Ultra, you know, CIA stuff. But I, that's just that's just interesting. Um, it's an interesting thing because the United States is trying to help ISIL, help the Islamic State in Syria. And then they and then the Islamic State like attacks people in the United States. It's not funny, but it's it's tragic comic. You know, it's just it's absurd. But um, the other thing that that um, that I think is, is just worth emphasizing and theorizing and thinking about is what what would be the United States? Um, um, see, I would in my wishful thinking, I would like to believe that the, the United States has actually already lost in Syria. They've um, and they lose Syria. Then the block of um, Iran, Iraq, Syria. Uh, possibly Lebanon in the future develops that's a counter uh, hegemonic block that's backed by mm-hmm. China and Russia. So I think that's the ultimate. That's I think that is what is the are are the ultimate stakes in this whole conflict. So what would be the United States minimal goal? The, the maximal goal, of course, would be to overthrow Assad and you know have a have a compliant regime. Uh, set up in Damascus. That's 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 pipe dream. But what would be the minimal goal? And that and the minimal goal would be to set up a partition in Syria. Um, so anyway, what what are y'all thoughts on that? Right. <clears throat> yeah, I think it might actually be that the their goal is to is to partition Syria in some way or to push the situation so far that that uh, the suffering of the Syrian people is is so great that. Uh, it, it's called for, you know, the UN intervenes or something, or there's some international call for a, a partition of the country, maybe a Kurdistan in the north or, you know, and these jihadi groups, I don't know, setting up, you know, some kind of Sunni Shia divide or something or, or, or who knows what, you know, they, they could they could manufacture out of it. And <clears throat> but I mean, where that would happen and who would control which areas of, of some newly configured uh, uh, Syrian Syrian state is 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 what's being fought over right now. If that's what they're, if that's what they're intending, you know the the actual structure of of any divided Syria. But um, yeah, I mean, it's at this point, it's it's hard to know why the U.S. is even it's still there, uh, why it's actually involved, why it's still harping on about the Assad Moscow, etc. I mean, at the beginning, we posited the idea that the whole thing was they wanted a compliant. Uh, Government, the U.S. Western compliant government in in Syria to facilitate uh, various uh, the transit of various oil and gas pipelines from from the Middle East through to to Europe, you know, and that that may still be their goal. But obviously, the overarching goal in all of this is to stop uh, Russia from expanding its influence and power uh, into the Middle East, and I think that's enough. Um, that's enough for them. That's enough of motivation for for the U.S. to stop Russia at all costs, and they're willing to throw everything they have at stopping Russia at all costs. And uh, it, to me, it looks like their goal is just to is to wage kind of war of attrition. That they're just going to stay in Syria, continue to fund their terrorists, etc., continue to ruin and wreck the country until Russia, in some way or other, sues for peace. You know, or, or has had enough, or Russia feels uh, the suffering of the. Of the, of the Syrian people enough, or or the Assad government puts 
pressure on the stock because um, that's the West doesn't care we're willing to turn any kind and uh, a pile of rubble on the way. Listen, Joe, it's always been, always been pointless. Cutting in and out there, Joe. Sorry? Yeah. I'm cutting in and out? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. we heard that. Did okay. you get any that? In response to what Joe just said, um, okay, then maybe the um, maybe the minimum goal would be just like like Joe just said, um, just constant instability, and um, you know, so, keep so it going be, for as long as possible. Yeah, because um, I see that this is, and, and you know what what I recognize is a lot of my thinking and hunches. There's there is wishful thinking of what I would rather see develop, which is a multipolar world. Um, so. Anyway, I think that um, the other interesting component of Syria is um, I've never seen so much um, confused journalism and misinformation on a a flashpoint zone like Syria. And um, I'm friends through Facebook with both uh, Ava Bartlett and Vanessa Beely, and they've done fantastic Uh reporting on the ground there. And um, they're, they're, they're beautiful human beings. They've got a conscience. They're honest. They're very competent in their journalism. And what I think is interesting is looking at the United States situation with our intelligentsia. You know, um, I used to be a, a fan of Democracy Now!, but they won't, mm. um, they, they will, Democracy Now! will not let Ava Bartlett or Vanessa Bealey even be featured on Democracy Now!. And um, that's, that, that just kind of is indicative of the state of the, the U.S. progressive "quote unquote" left, as it exists right now, and uh, it's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty pathetic. But uh, anyway, that's all I had to say. Uh, I enjoy y'all's show, value it immensely, and um, I look forward to listening to the rest of the show. Take care. All right, thanks, Stephen. Take care. Thanks, Stephen. Bye, Stephen. That's why the only true left right is Sat.net. There you go. <laughs> all right, right, we got a center. we got a second caller here. Okay. So, almost connecting. Caller, you're on the line. Can you let us know who you are? Uh, hi, Harrison. Uh, this is hi. Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in Australia, uh, to the listeners. Um, G'day. What do you think about the Aussie Air Force bombing Syrian troops, uh, Ryan? <laughs> Oh God, mate! Uh, don't, don't what are you me. doing? Uh, I I was I was reading through all the stuff on um, the uh, the Syrian uh, stuff on Twitter today, and then it got to one particular. Like, I think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon or something, and then uh, the an ABC reporter here um, tweeted about RAF bombers um, being involved in the uh, in the the attack. And I just was like, oh, f f f f. So the Royal, the Royal Australian Air Force, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's correct. So they're doing they're doing it on behalf of Her Majesty in the UK. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the um, interesting thing was. 
though. Um, after when I started to sort of dig into it a little bit more to uh, to find out what was actually going on, um, there's very little information, and uh, I found an official um, like media release from the Department of Australian Department of Defence, um, and they basically repeat the US line. Um, very closely. They say um, you coalition aircraft conducting airstrikes in eastern Syria believed to be, you know, Daesh. The coalition had been tracking the target for some time, which is just insanely suspicious, I reckon. I mean, how do, how do they track a target for some time and not realise that they're actually, like, friendlies as opposed to enemy? Uh, it just, it's just nonsensical. But, um... Yeah. Uh, Ryan, does, does uh, Australia... Rely on uh, uh, rely on modern uh, oil or gas to an extent. Uh, sorry, Middle Eastern oil or gas. Yeah, does it rely on it? Uh, yeah, I think so. There, there was one point, uh, I think, a couple of decades back, where uh, Australia was almost self-sufficient in uh, oil oil supplies, but um, I think. Uh, since then, it's now gone down to a, quite, something quite low. I think it's about 40 or 50% or something, um, possibly mm. less, um, uh, of domestic supply for the domestic market. Uh, so I think mm. there is some degree of dependency there. But they're, they're mm. also... Yeah, yeah. I just wonder what... I just have this image of Australia. What the hell is Australia doing in the Middle East? you know what I mean? I mean, I know they're a kind of Western lackey. They kind of want to be... I want to be uh, as close to Uncle Sam as possible and suck up to him and all that kind of stuff. They're just like a little piece of Europe in that sense, uh, way way down there in the South Pacific type the thing. The question but, is as old as Australia. What the hell was Australia doing in Gallipoli, Turkey yeah. in 1916? So well, that was a uh, world war, at least. And if you're yeah. part of the world, so you got to have a go, you know. But, I mean, <laughs> what the hell are you doing in Syria? You know what I mean? It's like... It's like, shouldn't they just, I mean, Australia, there's not that many people, you know, it's a big country, but, you know, their second, third or fourth biggest country in the world, almost the same size as the US, or a bit bigger even, and, uh, but they've only got 20 million people, you know, I mean, we've got all this ocean, all this coastline, I mean, just, you know, you're way down there, I'm not, this isn't to push you off or anything, Ryan, you know, and I'm not talking about you here, but I'm just saying Australians, just live it up down there, throw another shrimp in the barbie, have a few, oh, yeah. have a few beers and... Mate, it's absolutely ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. The, and I think it all goes back to um, John Flippin Howard, um, the you know so-called man of steel, according to George Bush, the, or the lying yeah. rodent, as he's referred to in the in the um, sort of Australian alternative media, um, mm. with his sort of push to go into Iraq when the Iraq War happened, and that. Um, I think has kind of like when, when, oh, sorry, Afghanistan, I think it was. Um, cause yeah, cause all the troops went to Afghanistan before Iraq. And then, the, uh, so I think now the, the, the Aussie troops have been withdrawn from Iraq, but there's still a small presence in Afghanistan. And I think that, um, that kind of connection there is still how the current governments, are, which is a, a conservative, like, "Quote unquote liberal," like the they call it the liberal government, but it's actually not liberal. They're actually very conservative. They're more like the Republican warhawks um, or the um, Democrat warhawks. If you think about Clinton, um, they're uh, very conservative. Like so, they tend to 
uh, like they're sort of continuing with Howard's policies. And because there's that connection still there, I think, to the Middle East, they're able to kind of keep sort of keep, keep the ball rolling a little bit and saying, well, to the public, oh, well, you know, we, we won't withdraw the troops yet because, you know, we're still playing a valuable role. It's good for it's good for the alliance with the United States and all, all this, like it's all um, um, a lot of ANZUS treaty stuff. Like they play up um, play up the, the ANZAC, ANZACs a fair bit on um, ANZAC Day and all that sort of thing. They, they tend to really try and emphasise the, the Western military alliance that Australia has with um, the United States and uh, to a lesser extent the UK, um, but mostly with the United States and New Zealand. And um, the, uh, the, that's, the fact that there's still that small presence there, I think that's why the the governments have been able to sort of say, well, all right, now the, now the United States wants us to go into Syria. So we'll just, we won't do too much. We'll just send a few support like um, refueling tankers or something like that. I think it was originally. And um, mm. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what the, the current contingent is there that's deployed. As far as I'm aware, it was still a fairly small force. So um, I, I think there were several bombers there, but um, this is one of the interesting things. Uh, the t- sort of looking into the tweets a little bit more closely um, between a few journos and a couple of um, think tank types, um, they were talking about the um, the contingent over there. I believe is F-18s, and uh, the Ru- the Russian military reported that the bombing was done by uh, A-10s and F-16s, I think, and a, and a drone possibly. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so there's no real match between like what equipment Australia has got over there and um, what the Russian military reported as being the the vehicles that did the bombing. Uh, so, so, so Australia's part in it then could just be to say, yeah, we did it, but even though we didn't, just to kind of a bit of uh, a got your back type of thing. We'll pretend we were involved just to give you some moral support type thing. Yeah, you know, I kind of get that impression. It, it, it almost feels a, a little bit like they've they've kind of fallen on their sword a little bit to try and protect the Americans somehow and say, well, you know, like we were involved in this as well, but the facts don't seem to point to any kind of like actual bombing involvement. Like there, there could possibly have been some sort of um, like support involvement with um, with aircraft mm. because they've released very little details. So it's 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 um, the actual def- the defense department has has just said um, uh, uh, there was a number Australian aircraft were among a number of international aircraft taking part in this coalition operation mm. around but the Derizor. Um, complex and dynamic operating environment would never intentionally target a known Syrian military unit, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, in order to maintain the integrity of this review, defense will not provide any further details at this time. So they've provided virtually no information except for sort of keeping it along the line of what the U S have already said. Uh, so I, I'm just, I'm kind of scratching my head thinking, why would the Australian Department of Defence sort of with very limited involvement, even in this specific operation, it looks like, sort of suddenly put their hand up sort of for an incident so quickly in an, in an incident of this international scale media-wise and sort of say, oh, mm. well, we were involved too kind of thing. Uh, 
it seems maybe like feel, they are. Maybe they're feeling lonely or they're feeling lonely or ignored or something, you know. And uh, wasn't much attention in Australia, so to get some limelight, <laughs> we're real people too. Uh, I've I've got a feeling that they might have been something about the the government might have been a little bit worried somehow that. Um, like maybe they're concerned the operation isn't going too well or something, and um, so they've they've just they've said to the Americans, well, if we do this, then that'll take the heat off you. So then you know that'll be better for to try and do whatever it is that they're they're trying to do and is their overall strategy. Um, mm. I it kind of it kind of, I don't see the current government of Australia. Um, and the, the sort of the military infrastructure sort of doing this um, like unintentionally sort of thing. Like they, it, mm-hmm. it seems like they, they fully, they very fully done this deliberately to try and um, take some, some of the flack away from America, I think. And yeah. I, I, I don't know why they, why they would have done that. Um, that's it's just a, kind of what I'm wondering about. Aid military aid from the US or strike a deal or whatever, you know, some kind of kickback? Possibly. Um, Who knows? Behind the scenes, you know. Everybody wants to keep in with America, you know. All the psychos want want to hang out together, you know. Uh, But I like that term dynamic operating environment that he used, that the Ministry of Defense, Australian Ministry of Defense used to explain it. Well, it was a dynamic operating environment, so, you know, that's all oh. I can say. I'm going to use that next time I screw up. <laughs> next time I do something wrong, that's going to be my answer. Well, you know, it was a dynamic operating environment, so what do you want? <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of things happening. <laughs> hey, Ryan, this is William here. Yeah. I got a, I got a question. Going on that I, that I... Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a question for you. Um, oh, hi, Will. hi, William. There's a... I read a report that the, the airstrikes were so blatant that even the anti-Assad mainstream media in Australia have suggested that the airstrikes were purposefully attacked, attacked those positions, which supports Russia's claim. Have you seen any of that? Um, the, the, the ABC News report, no, sorry, the, I read a report in Fairfax um, paper, The Age, that um, followed the anti-Assad line fairly closely and they, they brought in some biased expert to sort of only give the US sort of side of the story. They, they ignored most of the details that the Russians were talking about except for the key points. Um, uh, I'm, I, ha- I, had, didn't, I haven't seen every single mainstream media report, so it is possible that um, some of the other um, large, um, like I think... Um, if it's the same, if it's the same report I'm thinking of, um, I, I saw a tweet on Twitter that was saying it was um, Channel Seven News, uh, and it is possible that they might have said something along those lines. That um, because the the news here does tend to to go for fairly sensationalist sort of angles, so if they weren't getting a lot of Information from the, like the government as to what was going on. It is possible that they might have unintentionally um, said something. Uh, they might have sort of, for, for the sensationalism of it, um, sort of. Oh, you know the um, the US is going. Um, 
the US has done this deliberately sort of thing because um, I oh actually no hang on um, the Fairfax report it, it said yeah this expert that they quoted said something like um, feed con- yeah the, the strikes would um, feed conspiracy theories that Washington is in league with ISIS <laughs> conspiracy theories the the Russian Ministry of Defense just said it like you know you you're basically like saying like the Russian Ministry of Defense is like putting out conspiracy theories like <laughs> this these experts are just it's like they 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 they're still sticking to a certain line but it does seem like there are like oh, I didn't actually see those those reports directly but um if they've been reported onwards through other organizations then it is possible that they did say um that yeah the uh the US I think Ryan, I think did we lose nope. his connection? Yeah, it looks like we lost him. Still connected, Maybe. but uh, no sound. Yeah. Well, but uh, any response to to what he's been saying? Well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting uh, if if it's the Russian uh, defense secretary who's saying this. It's also the Kremlin spokesperson Maria Zakharova who really pulled no punches, uh, she came out and said, um, you know, if, if this isn't an example, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, basically this proves, if nothing else, that the U.S. is supporting ISIS and, and the whole world has something to worry about here. Um, you know, on top of that, the statements of Vitaly Cherkin, the ambassador uh, to the U.N., Russia's ambassador, the other night, uh, in the statements that were made mention of before, I mean, he was pointing to some pretty kind of uh, crucial and damning um, patterns involved in 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 the bombing. Uh, when he mentioned the fact that you know the U.S. really had no reason. I mean, this came out of nowhere. So, uh, and if anything, it helped ISIS with their offensive. Uh, he said those things, and and that was really, I think, what um, what triggered Samantha Power to come out and say, you know, Syria's playing a game, and Russia's grandstanding, and uh, and they're and they're, you know, this is ridiculous, and there's no reason why we should be having this meeting at this time on a Saturday night, and uh, you know, you can just imagine that her husband, uh, who's Cass Sustine, kind of you know, prime great minister of U.S. propaganda in the Obama administration at one point whispering in her ear, you have to come out strong and and turn this whole thing around because this looks really bad. So, uh, and it does. Uh, so I think there's a whole lot of um, uh, damage control that uh, Samantha Power was tasked to do when she came out, you know, in such an ugly way and, and accusing Russia. Yeah. yeah. I think we have Ryan back in the air, do we? Ryan, are you uh, there? Yeah, hi, Joe. Yeah, yeah. just um, had a uh, minor browser problem. Browser crashed. Um, it, uh, yeah, I had a couple of hundred tabs open. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I know what that's uh, like. <laughs> do, do, you, do you get that at all? What, a few hundred tabs open? 
Yeah, if you have a few hundred tabs open, the browser crashes every so often. <laughs> yeah, yep. it can happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, uh, it's Ryan, did you want to did you want to finish your point that you were making earlier, or before you got cut off? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, mate. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Just um, to what William was saying, um, the uh, I've I've got I I can I can believe or or I'd have no reason to doubt that um, the, those reports about the, the mainstream media channels here reporting um, that the bombing was deliberate um, weren't possibly true or, or are true, like, as in there's no reason not to think that that was actually what was reported uh, because they, they could very much have said that, but I didn't actually see the reports firsthand, so I don't know for sure. But I did see secondhand reports of it through Twitter, so uh, I, I can believe that they actually did say that. Mm. Okay. Did you have anything uh, else you wanted to add, Ryan? Yeah. The, uh. Yeah, just just um, wondering, um, was there um, yeah, like oh. like any 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 oh. reason behind any any reason um, as to why what you guys thought about it? Any reasons Australia might have had to actually do actually do what they did, just announcing this um, because I uh, sort of a little bit stumped. Uh, Joe, you mentioned um, just sort of yeah, getting some favours from the US or something like that. Do you think there's anything more to it than that, or um, it's just a quid pro quo kind of thing that they've they've put their hand up and said, "All right, we'll take the fall on this one," and you know, you guys have to do us some favours later or something, or or could it be that they were they were sort of did it as an act of desperation to try and protect a greater plan or something? Yeah, I don't think Australia's involvement is going to change much, but I think it's it's important from the from the US slash NATO powers uh, perspective that as many countries in the world are seen to be involved in this type of thing, you know, all of us against Russia type of thing, or just, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta put your hand in, you got to actually step up to the plate to, to some extent or other if you, if you want to still, you know, if you want... If you want to reap the, any rewards or any benefits of, of anything, I mean, you notice how in Iraq, the coalition of the willing and all that kind of stuff in different countries that were all involved, you know, <clears throat> countries that, uh, you know, really shouldn't have been there or, or, or aren't very high yeah. up in the list of military powers were all involved in Iraq, you know, and I think they were all in there to say that, okay, when the, when it, when the, it comes time to give out, um, give out the rewards, you know, i.e. access to uh, uh, Iraqi infrastructure and uh, natural resources, you'll get a cut of the pie, you know. If you won't get a cut of the pie if you haven't haven't uh, made yourself uh, present and, and accounted yeah. for type thing, you know. Taking on any risk, yeah. So yeah, maybe that, well, that we'll see, sense. you know. If we see uh, yeah. Aussie troops, you know, storming storming Damascus, you know, in the next week or so, then we'll know. <laughs> then we'll know uh, something's hope... gone wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. I can't see that happening, mate, to be honest. They've just um, been sitting back waiting for the chance. Um, um, 
Interestingly enough, the um, the SBS News over here a couple of months ago, they did a, a very um, good interview with um, Bashar al-Assad. They actually got a, a journalist in to see him um, in, in Damascus. And uh, the uh, it wasn't one of those typical sort of Western attack interviews. Like he, he sort of did have to sort of, you know, say a couple of, a couple of tough questions sort of thing, but the overall line was, was fairly soft compared to what a lot of other journalists would, would probably say in the, in the mainstream media establishment, the uh, sort of Western mainstream media establishment. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the actual interview that they broadcasted on SBS here, and it's actually a very good sort of interview where um, Assad came across very favorably. And, and um, then they, of course, sort of hedged it a little bit by putting some like quote unquote expert on afterwards who just completely parroted the whole US line and saying, oh, you know, Assad's a, a brutal dictator or, or something, something to that effect. But they just had him do like a little sort of, you know, five minute segment at the end kind of thing, like after the actual interview with the, with the, um, the SBS journalist. Um, so I thought that was interesting because none of the other channels had sort of, I think it had even come close to, to doing anything that would show the Syrian government in a positive light. So there could be like some element of sympathy um, within the Australian population, within the Australian uh, mainstream media for um, Syria and possibly sort of a lot of them maybe know that the US is basically like leading the country down the path to ruin and and they're, they're trying to do something about it to sort of like resist where they can but without trying to open themselves up to having their careers destroyed or um, anything like that sort of you know, just yellow, yellow journalism a little bit to mm. um, to it to effect yeah all but, right Ryan we're gonna um, gonna move on to a couple other topics uh, all right, no problems. Are, are you guys going to talk about the the whole um, spread of um, bombings and stabbings and everything that happened um, in America, sort of like the exact same day, basically, as the as this um, Syrian incident? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, excellent! I'll look forward to it. All right, Ryan. Thanks for calling. <clears throat> Take care, Ryan. Right. Cheers, fellas. Thanks very much. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye, Ryan. Yeah, will do. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye. Take care. Well, I just wanted to make a really quick comment on that. Oh. Just, just exactly what Ryan said is that just the, the the coincidental timing of this, you know, right after the news of this airstrike comes out, we get news of a, a mass shooting in the States, a mass stabbing. We have these bombs in New York. It just seemed, um, just seemed like impeccable timing to me. <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah, it was amazing. I don't know what uh, what you can say about it, but um, what what the what the point of it is, uh, other than to distract people. I mean, are they still in the game of distracting people? I mean, I thought most people in the U.S. didn't actually know where know where Syria is. Never know what. Never mind know know what's actually going on in Syria. So, uh, I mean, the distraction theory is well, maybe it used to be more plausible, but today, where they really have to bother distracting people from, you know, bad news. Like that, uh, where the U.S. And, and would most people in the U.S. not probably not be happy, given the propaganda they've been subjected to? Would they not be happy to hear or be content yeah. to hear that the U.S. 
atta- attacked the forces of the brutal dictator Assad. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. Who that, 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 uh, that, I don't know why. Sorry. But the what? Go ahead. Oh, well, I was sorry. I was surprised. Uh, you know, the stabbing uh, ISIS was. Uh, you know, took took um, blame for that. And I thought that was kind of interesting that, hey, you know, U.S. keeps saying, oh, we're fighting ISIS. And here's a little bit of feedback saying, see, they're, they're, they're beating us. So, you know, they're coming over here and attacking us. We got to go over there and keep fighting them. <laughs> mm. Well, I watched a few yeah. segments on. Uh, Possibly. I mean, not of. Go ahead, Har. I was just going to say that. Um, go ahead, Alan. The, you know, I was just kind of browsing some. Um, corporate media sites yesterday to just get a sense of how they were covering the whole event. And um, even CNN, you know, kind of uh, recognized to some degree the, the gravity of the, of the mess up. I mean, any way you look at it, you know, the U S bombing um, Syrian soldiers after this tentative agreement is made soldiers who were, you know, uh, on the cusp of defeating uh, Daesh in this uh, major strategic position, I mean the the gravity of it was was recognized, I think, by a lot of um, by a lot of these uh, you know BBC, CNN. So, um, what was my point? Uh, just that um, I I think uh, distractions were probably. Uh, necessary to some degree because there's there's very little uh, you know it it either spells that the military in the U.S. is incompetent um, or that they're in bed with ISIS. Um, so I think yeah. that became very obvious to a lot of people, uh, or could become very obvious to a lot of people. And like you said, Joe. You know these these distractions of stabbings and 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 bombings in New York, New Jersey, what have you, uh, is this kind of act of desperation and distraction? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Well, I think uh, we... before we go to our okay, yeah. before we go to our copy copy cop roundup, um, our lovely lovely policeman roundup. Is that what it's called? Your friendly neighborhood policeman <laughs> roundup. Friendly neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, before we go to that, uh, I'll just make a mention of the fact that tomorrow, as Neil said at the start of the show, uh, is the UN General Assembly, uh, where um, and we're kind of looking forward to watching it because we're going to listen to um, the speeches of the different heads of state where they all give their very informed and objective opinions on what's going on in the world and all the major issues so everybody can feel that they are safe and taken care and taking being taken care of so uh but we'll be looking forward to hearing obama and other western leaders go blah 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 putin's bad blah 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 putin's bad blah 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 and evil assad throwing a few evil assads and blah 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 and then we'll be uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing uh, or listening to putin uh, basically drop a big dose of uh, truth on the entire world uh, in response to that nonsense and for everybody to ignore it. 
And but the other person I'm interested in listening to, if he's actually going to go, which I assume he is, is the Philippine president Ed Duarte, yeah. who has been showing himself in recent months. He's been showing a real proclivity for colorful language uh, directed against uh, America. So um, I'm hoping to hear some some choice words from him. Uh, he's kind of like a, I mean, not as good as um, Chavez. But uh, Hugo Chavez, the former, uh, the late great Hugo Chavez, but maybe he's he'll do a second best type of thing as long as he throws in a few, few rude words <laughs> <laughs> on the international stage about, uh, about the American president. Uh, then everybody will be happy, you know. It keeps it entertaining, you know. Um, yeah. So that's starting. That's kicking off when tomorrow, right? Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. I so, just want to make a comment too about uh, what I hope to see happen today with with the Syrian thing is I hope Russia ensures that that humanitarian aid convoy does make it to Aleppo and therefore, you know, canceling out any objections the U S might've had. That's probably their number one priority mm-hmm. to get done. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll be looking for the news yeah. and seeing, seeing what happens and moving on. Uh, we're going to have a cop roundup. Where's your warrant? Show me the warrant. Show me the warrant. Wow, they just said they did not have a warrant. Get out of my house unless you have a warrant right now. Keep smiling at me. Like this is some kind of funny thing. Okay, there's nothing funny about it. No, wait, then stop smiling. Right, right. Hand your hand. Good, good now. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. Welcome back, Brent. Hey, Brent. Hi, Brent. Yeah, so uh, a lot of interesting stories in the police state department. Um, basically, Oakland, California uh, just came out and admitted that they dele- deleted about 25% of their uh, like five years of body camera footage uh, during a software upgrade. Supposedly, it was an accident. Um, somebody clicked off the tech doing the upgrades of their system, clicked off the wrong box, and uh, yeah, a whole chunk of their data just went missing. Oops. Um, now I don't remember. Uh, I don't know if you know, remember or not, but um, Oakland was the same police department that was riddled with a um, prostitution scandal, with um, several officers passing around a, a minor um, as she, you know, she was a, a late state teenager, you know, between the ages of like 15 to 18, and she's 19 now, and she's suing the city of Oakland for 66 million dollars. So it's just kind of uh, another little nod to Oakland being riddled with scandal and corruption. Um, Interesting story out of Philadelphia. 19-year-old man uh, was shot twice by his father, who's a Philadelphia cop, um, during some sort of argument. And the police are calling this an accident, even though the kid was hit twice. So there's there's very little details about this coming out. Um, All that we know is that the Philadelphia police have um, detained the other son and the wife, and they're not considering the officer a person of interest, and they haven't interviewed him yet. Um, you know, it's apparently he accidentally or inadvertently discharged his weapon while they were having an argument, <laughs> which just, you know, sounds really shady. Um, Philadelphia is another one of these cities where 
the thin blue line comes down very hard and there's an awful lot of blue privilege. So it's not exactly shocking, but um, it's just kind of really appalling. You know, a, a cop can shoot his son during an argument and the, they get away with calling it an accident. Um, let's see here. In Florida, a um, 55-year-old man also was having an argument with his family. Um, apparently the argument ended, but um, his family was disturbed enough by the argument that they decided to call the police. And at the time, this guy, Gregory Frazier, was sitting in his backyard eating chicken wings and fries when um, police shot him from behind because he just told the cops, you know, leave him alone and, and to go away. And they, you know, suspected him of having a knife. And so without any confrontation at all, without him even getting up from his chair, they shot him five times in the back and killed him. Um, so we just got these, these cops are just insane. I mean, the guys sitting in a chair eating chicken wings and because, you know, they he may have had a, a knife, they just unload on him. Like, hey, what is that? Like, <laughs> it just blows my mind. Um, and another example of extremely callous and cruel police behavior. Um, they had a mentally ill man in custody in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, Milwaukee has become kind of like the center of a lot of these stories as well. Um, there's a lot of uh, racist tendencies, you know, deep ground in the, uh, the demographics of the area. And um, this man died uh, from dehydration and he was begging for water um, for hours before he was killed um, or before he passed. And um, it's just unbelievable. Like these, these stories of people in police custody, like, you know, regardless of what you do to get yourself into police custody, um, we have a constitutional right to not be subjected to cruel and unusual punishment. And, you know, this guy's clearly mentally ill. You know, he's got a history of mental illness. He was supposed to undergo a medical evaluation to determine whether or not he was competent enough to stand trial for the charges against him. Um, but he never made it to that hearing. Um, they turned off the water in his sink, uh, apparently because he was flooding his cell. And after that, they never gave him water to drink. And, you know, after a couple of days, you know, humans can't survive very long without water. And he just, he, he died. 38-year-old guy. Um, it's just unbelievable stuff. Um, another story about uh, an innocent family in Columbus, Ohio, who um, had cops show up to their neighborhood, not even, you know, having anything to do with family. Um, you know, someone flagged the officers down in the neighborhood because they thought the mother in this family was um, – having some sort of uh, um, medical emergency. Um, so the cops came over to the family's house and their, uh, their pit bull came running out to greet the officer. And, you know, he tried to shoot the dog, but missed the dog and ended up hitting a four-year-old in the thigh, um, completely shattering her, her bone. And, um, She's was traumatized, uh, requires several surgeries, and um, they received a $780,000 settlement um, from the city of Ohio, which, of course, comes out of the taxpayer's uh, pocket. Um, and this, this is consistent. We see, you know, when police 
behave poorly or they make a mistake on the job, it's always the taxpayers that are footing the bill. And to, to this day, I really don't understand why that's the case, um, why this has to come out of the city's budget or the state budget. You know, it should be coming from, you know, the officer's salary or their pension plan or something. You know, if they started to hit them where it hurts in the wallet, they may actually, you know, pause and, and reflect before they start firing off their weapons at, at dogs and uh, strange noises. Um, there's another sad, sad story about a mother who called the police. Um, you know, her son had a warrant out. He was obviously troubled. Uh, this is from Denver, Colorado. And um, she knew he had a warrant out. She knew where he was going. Um, you know, she was trying to do what she thought was the right thing, um, trying to bring him in safely. And she told them that he was unarmed, that he was uh, not terribly violent. Um, and they showed up and killed the guy. Um, you know, he was trying to flee. Uh, they claimed that there was some sort of altercation. Of course, they, they are obviously going to say that there was, you know, a fight or whatever. Um, and then this guy, quote, tried to reach for one of the officer's guns. And, um, you know, they, one, of the, one of the other officers decided that was enough to uh, shoot him, shot him. Uh, doesn't say once or twice and um, killed him. So again, don't call the police, even if you think you're doing the right thing. Uh, you're going to end up getting somebody killed, especially if it's somebody you care about. Uh, this is another story out of Milwaukee, which is very disturbing. Um, and another story that just reeks of lies. An elementary student was accidentally, quote, accidentally shot during an altercation with an officer in her school. Nonetheless, this is a 13-year-old girl who was being interviewed about a prior incident. Um, and they said that the girl got rowdy or combative is the word that they were using. Um, you know, they were in the basement of this school, which is kind of curious to me, you know, why are they, they were away from other students. So we really don't know what was happening uh, in this room. Only the people that know were, were in the room, but they said she became combative and um, an officer's gun quote went off, you know, just, just, somehow went off. This is another thing I'm noticing is uh, when officers' guns discharge and hit people, it's never, you know, an officer fired the gun or, you know, the gun was fired by so-and-so. It's always the gun goes off. It's like, you know, as if the gun has a mind of its own and can just decide to go yeah. off. Uh, it fired. Yeah. It, it fired. fired. Not I fired it. It's just unreal, and that's not even the um, the only story that I've read recently where where that was the um, the the whole explanation. It's just unbelievable how how frequently you know you hear it fired or the gun went off, and there's no blame. There's no no discussion of who pulled the trigger or how it just magically decided to go off. Um, and they they consistently paint the story, you know as the, you know, the, the gun sort of just, you know, has this mind of its own thing. It's unbelievable. Um, this story, not so violent, but kind of, you know, police statey. Um, a little girl in Orange County, California, she got a reputation for having an amazing lemonade stand. And, um, you know, this was her grandmother's recipe. And she started with just like a little, um, a little stand that her father had built for. Her. And, you know, she got such a reputation in the community that she was being invited to weddings and other community events. Um, 
and that was it was everything was going great until the state decided to step in and suggest that she needed to get a permit and also to clear all these requirements. Um, the total coming in at about uh, $3,500 <laughs> just to uh, serve lemonade, which is <laughs> just unbelievable. Wow. She ended up, you know, happy ending to the story. She ended up setting up a GoFundMe page and was able to um, raise the funds. And she's back in operation now. Um, but, you know, you can't even serve lemonade anymore without having thousands of dollars of government permits. Um, this story was kind of interesting. Uh, again, thankfully nobody was harmed, but, um, Arizona Supreme court, uh, sort of dropped the ball this week. Um, they, uh, basically allowed this legislature, they passed a law there to criminalize any contact between an adult and a child's genitals. Um, and usually, you know, these kind of laws, you have to, you know, prove sexual intent, uh, but, and that was the argument before the Supreme Court was that they needed to change it so that, you know, you, you know, you're not rounding up basically parents that um, are changing their kids diapers or, you know, you know, like if you're wiping your kid's butt with a wipey after, you know, he pooped it in his diaper like that kid is now technically illegal in Arizona. Um, and the Supreme Court the, was a three to two decision. But the um, the the three side basically said that, um, oh, it should be relatively easy for any parent you know, to prove that, you know, it wasn't sexual contact and that'll all come out, you know, in the trial or whatever. But like, you know, you're, you're basically just allowing like all these unnecessary prosecutions and, and stuff, which is, it's clearly a uh, violation of the constitution, uh, which is what the scathing dissent basically pointed out. Um, and, you know, like there's a, uh, a due process clause uh, in the 14th amendment that basically says um, you're creating a severely constitutional vagueness problem here. You, you know, every parent has a right to care for their children. Um, and the Supreme Court just didn't seem to see it that way. So now in Arizona, you can be convicted of child molestation just because you're changing your baby's diaper. <laughs> yep, you're guilty and you have to prove um, you're innocent. Wow. Yeah, exactly. You're guilty until proven otherwise. Um so it's, I feel really bad for parents in Arizona. Can't even imagine. Um, and that's pretty much the, uh, the wrap-up of the police state stories. I have another story here, which is kind of interesting and related. It's about this guy that went off in Philadelphia, but I don't know if you want to talk about that separately or not. Um, well, we're planning on... Uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say... No, go ahead, uh, go ahead uh, Brent. Yeah, this was just a, a, a random shooting um, that happened on Friday. Again, you know, the timing of these incidents is just unbelievable. Uh, this guy went on a shooting rampage in West Philly. Um, he was later shot dead by police. Um, but he ambushed um, a young woman, uh, an officer, Sergeant Sylvia Young, who was sitting in a patrol car uh, Friday evening. And she was shot eight times. And um, she's, in, uh, she's in stable condition. She wasn't killed. Um, she had a uh, combat vest on, but um, he, they chased this guy around. You know, he approached a bar with his door open. He injured a security guard there, grabbed a woman from the bar, used her as a human shield, um, and then shot her in the leg before fleeing again. Uh, apparently, he opened fire randomly at a passing car, uh, hitting a man and woman inside the vehicle. Um, 
Oh, apparently the woman was killed, and um, the man is still in critical condition. And then he exchanged fire with police in an alley not far from the University of Pennsylvania, um, and he was killed during that shootout, uh, but also injured another officer. So it's just uh, kind of crazy. And then we had the the bombs, the bomb go off here in New York City, mm-hmm. uh, which was about uh, thirty some blocks south from my place. We heard about this last night. It went off around eight thirty p.m. Apparently injuring about twenty nine people. Thankfully, no one was killed. Um, the most interesting part about that story I found was that they found another bomb four blocks north. And this bomb was a pressure cooker bomb. It was, uh, you know, I don't know the details about, you know, whether it or not it was an actual bomb or if it's a hoax bomb or, or what was inside the pressure cooker, but it was described as being a pressure cooker connected to a cell phone with some wires protruding. Hmm. And I just I found that the fact that they, you know, they, they talk about these pressure cooker bombs, which, you know, nobody has really seen or heard of. And now we, we have an example, you know, it's just there. And the idea that they exist is now circulating in the media. So it's, it struck me as very, very odd. And of course, the timing, mm-hmm. the timing is just shocking. Um, I also just, you know, curiously went to CNN.com just to see what they're talking about. And of course, the main story, we got the, uh, the bombing. They don't know, you know, what the deal was, who the motive was, who was involved, and, you know, they vow to, uh, you know, find out and catch this guy. But um, also on the, the page, the top news story is ISIS claiming responsibility for a Minnesota mall attack. So it's mm-hmm. everything on the front page, you know, has nothing to do with what's happening in Syria or the fact that, you know, we, we bombed right. Syrian army forces in direct contravention of the agreement. So that kind of bears out the uh, what we were saying earlier on, more or less, that, um, that it's, it's about to push the Syria thing off the front page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lying by exclusion. Yeah, and, and that, I, mean, I just have to, when I look at that Minnesota stabbing attack uh, on Saturday yesterday, um, some dude who is still unnamed mm. goes into a crossroads shopping mall and, um, and stabs uh, eight people. Uh, most of them, pretty much all of them, rather lightly like a bit of a scratch here and there, you know, not very good at stabbing people. And then the Islamic State, right, uh, from their headquarters somewhere, their media headquarters announced to the entire world that, yes, he was a soldier of the Islamic State. Like, and, and what? And what is he, what is it? What's your agenda again? Scratching eight people in, in the Minnesota mall? You're going to, what, are you going to wage a full-scale ground war in the U.S. next or something like that? I mean, do you use the FBI's? Uh, only the FBI terror plots, uh, uh, Patsy's uh, alleged statements, you know, eight guys living in a warehouse in Florida were going to, according to the FBI, were going to wage a full ground war on the United States. Uh, this is what ISIS is going to do as well, apparently, by getting some guy with like a pen knife to go and scratch eight people in a Minnesota mall and then have ISIS of all things, you know, ISIS that everybody knows exists as this actual entity, this actual thing, this organization that has an agenda and is threatening the world uh, claims responsibility for it. The whole thing is such a massive amount of horse caca yeah, yeah. that it's unbelievable. It's actually just, I mean, it's literally unbelievable. Yeah. And it just it stuns me. It's, it's far, it's a complete and utter farce. If anybody just stopped and thought about it, like this is what ISIS is doing, scratching people in a Minnesota mall and what, 
you know, you know, kneel before me and tremble as I scratch eight of your citizens out of 300 million and you're all tremble and call, what will you call for war or something as a result of that? Or, you know, or it'll be added to the list of things that ISIS have supposedly done. While bombing people actually trying to get rid of people flying under the ISIS flag. Right, right. I mean, it's those things. It's just so obviously manufactured in the sense of it's so obviously just being stage managed by someone. Now, this guy isn't the crazy person who, who who went and did this and hasn't been, that he that he most likely was mentally uh, right. ill and went and just decided to go a bit crazy in a mall in, in Minnesota. But the whole idea that ISIS, anything that ISIS claims responsibility for, could easily be coming out of the Pentagon, a server in the Pentagon. That you know routes to like Syria or Iraq and, and, and announces a statement. I mean, anybody. I'm not super computer com, computer literate, but I'm pretty sure that it's very easy for anybody to do that. I, I think they found a couple of years back that most of their social media accounts were coming from California. Right. So Brent, did this guy survive the, the stabber? Was he or was he killed by the cops? Oh, he was killed. He was killed. On the spot. Yeah, an off-duty policeman. Okay. Uh, and the guy in Philly, though, was taken into custody, right? Mm. Uh, no, he was killed, too, during the shootout. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Dead man till no tales. And, and the... And the, and there's no word the, yet. The pressure on, cooker bomber in, in New York, uh, yeah. it, it died as well. It died. Yeah. Well, we, so there's no chance of <laughs> interrogating it and finding out where it came from. <laughs> Yeah, the only thing they have is that second device they found four blocks north. Yeah. What if they boil the pressure cooker and make it <laughs> answer some questions? No, it's, it's done. It's been blown up. Ah, they all, the terrorists always blow themselves up. <clears throat> Even terrorist pressure pressure cookers, uh, they do the same thing. It's it's just a it's a nihilistic ideology that, that here too. You can't understand it, Neil. You just have to wipe them out. All pressure cookers and other cooking devices that adhere to Islamic state uh, ideology. Yeah, at the same time, there's also this uh, this pipe bomb that exploded in Seaside Park in New Jersey. Somebody right. put a pipe bomb in a trash can, and there was supposed to be a uh, a Marine uh, charity run there, 5K. Hmm. And right. the bomb went off, suspending the race. Um, they have, you know, again, no suspects or anything. But that's the bomb that just, killed that injured 29 people, right? No, that's another incident. No, no, oh, that was no, sorry, that was a, that was a pressure cooker bomb. That was New York, yeah, and Chelsea on twenty third Street. There's n- is there any word yet on any effort to connect the New York bomb with uh, ISIS or anything else? Not yet. They're, People are complaining. Possible People are complaining like, that yeah, they're pop- complaining that, that they don't automatically say uh, Twitter. Supposedly, Twitter uh, that uh, thing uh, got a bit annoyed. Twitter got annoyed. I never met Twitter, but it got annoyed today whenever uh, they didn't officially, uh, the authorities didn't officially call this terrorism and specifically Islamic terrorism. I, Twitter was like, for God's sakes, everybody knows it's the Muslims. Just say it's radical Islam, for God's sakes. They, that's that's know, Donald Trump's whole thing. That's who did it. Yeah. So everybody's, everybody's annoyed. The Twitter, uh, Twitter's annoyed and, uh, and other people, other things are annoyed that uh, they didn't come out and blame it on what everybody knows it is. Um Pressure cooker, of course, is a throwback to Boston bombings. bombings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pressure and Brent, this is the Check first. In. Is this the first bomb to go off in New York since uh, 9 11? I believe so. 
Yeah. Oh, no, there was a, oh, no, that was a threat. Yeah, they found that guy in Times Square with a bunch of propane in his car uh, a couple of years yeah. ago, but that never he actually went to, off. And in fact, that bomb yeah, it couldn't go off the way that he had planned. It was basically just a bunch of fireworks and propane tanks. Right. Yeah, they're trying to set fire to propane tanks with fireworks <laughs> and uh, a little alarm clock that was like a Later. kid's toy or something. He that was that was one of the FBI terror plots. Yes, and that was all suggested to him, and they give all, they more or less give him all that stuff, and then put him in the car and said. Be down there. He was a son of some Pakistani dude. Yeah. Farouk something. No, that was, that's, that's the underwear bomber. Oh, yes. The knicker bomber. Um, anyway, uh, Brandy, are you going to go and see Putin tomorrow? Or maybe he's not coming tomorrow. When's he coming? Later is, he come, is he planning to come? He must be, no. I thought I heard oh, that I he know. wasn't I going to. I could even get into those events. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think go, last he, year was exceptional because it was the 70th anniversary. Oh, yeah? But he's not going to go and say his piece? He doesn't every year. Should. It might, be, it might be dangerous for him to come to the U.S. nowadays, you know? It's just, yeah, um, you never know. Some guy with some Islamic territory. state territory. Yeah, an Islamic state terrorist with a pen knife might come and try and scratch him. Or somebody might lob a pressure cooker bomb at him. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. Yeah. Anyway, I was also surprised right. that ISIS claimed responsibility for the knife attack, but then there's you know no mention of the bombings. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what, uh, like I said, Twitter was very annoyed that ISIS didn't claim, or that the authorities didn't blame ISIS or blame radical Islam on the uh, bomb in, in New York City. Because uh, everybody knows that that's what it is. Because, you know, they've been encouraged to, to believe that, you know. Yeah. Um, well, we'll have to see what happens. Um, but thanks for thanks for the roundup there, Brent. Uh, very informative as usual. Yep. No problem, guys. All right. Talk to All you right. later, Brent. Okay. Bye, Brent. Take it easy. Have see a ya. good one. All right. You too. Bye bye. Uh, let's go to that last caller All because right. I don't know who it is. Uh Hey caller, who? What's your name? Where are you, where are you calling from? Damn it! It's so long after the subject. All right, my name is Salamo. I'm in the chat room. I'm... I see you've been in the chat room. I've been monitoring you. Big Brother watches all. Oh, I've been monitored. Nice. I actually wrote an article that you guys picked up once. Oh yeah, oh, which yeah. one was that? Oh, yeah. What was that? What was that? Uh, oh yeah, which one was that? I think it was the. Uh, why do we call it the one percent? We're just lying to ourselves, right? Okay. Where base, the basic premise is everybody calls it the one percent are controlling all of us, but we're talking about um, in the numbers of a hundred to describe what is controlling in the numbers of billions. So, in the numbers of one hundreds, one percent isn't all that radical. But when you compare it to what it is in billions, it's like uh, 0.00000012% that are controlling everybody. So I wrote that, and you guys picked it up. All right. What's your name? Uh, my actual name? My name is Sylvain It's I have nothing to hide. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shart. Your name is Silvano. Sure, Salamo, Silvano, 
It depends what country I'm in. Oh, yeah. So you're not telling us your real name then. Okay. No, my real name is Salamo. Hey, Salamo, can you turn down your... Can you turn I'll down the, the um, How's that? The, can you turn down the yeah. audio? We can hear an echo. Uh, we can hear ourselves a little bit. Yep. Hold Speakers. On. Thank Hold you. On. How's that? Is that better? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. <clears throat> Might have to grab some headphones. Yeah. The, oh, Silamo. Oh, Sylvan Lamoro. Okay. So you got some French. Going on there. I'm all sorts of things. Oh, um, yeah, you're a man of mystery. Okay. So, what's your comment or question for us? Question? I don't know. I, I we were just talking about all sorts of things. We we're talking about what uh, Syria. We we're talking about bombings in the states. We we're talking about all sorts of stuff that happens. We we're talking about the MSN. We were uh, MSM. We were talking about CNN. And we were, but what are you, what's your comment or question? Are you? I'm sorry. What was that? Well, are you? Let me ask this: Are you based in the U.S.? I'm. I'm based uh, in uh, America's America Light. We're called Canada. Oh yeah, I should have known from your accent. <laughs> you got a bit of a twang there. And you're kind of Irish. Just a little bit. Yeah, you got a bit of a twang yourself. Yeah. So, but we're, so, so we're talking about all this, but I think one of the things that is is missing in our discussion is uh, is the implication of the the normal folk. You know, n- no power is accumulated without the consent of the populace. Mm-hmm. Is that a question? I it's something that I, I was thinking that maybe somebody had some feedback, but perhaps not. Say it again. Then you cannot you cannot have power without the consent of the populace. Right? We're right. talking about seven billion people. We're talking about a planet. We're not just talking about the US. We're not just talking about Ireland. We're not just talking about Australia or Canada. We're talking about everything total. So we're talking about billions okay. of people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you cannot have power without consent, especially if right. if we're talking about, uh, if we go back to the 1%, which is really the 0, 0, 0, yada, 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 0.2%, it's, it cannot happen without consent. Not yeah, we agree goal. I think that's a good point, actually. And I think okay. what we try um, and do on the show there, is... Therefore, I, I would just like to quickly comment on that. I think one of the one of the things we try and do on the show is to say, you know, this is what you're really consenting to when you when you vote these people in. Uh, this is, you know, they are a part of this system. Uh, you know, deciding on Trump or Hillary, for instance, is a false choice. So uh, the. the the terrible fact of the matter is, you're right. Most people don't know what they're consenting to when they, um, you know, when they choose these leaders. And that's not what he's saying. Although, Alan, that's not what he's saying. Uh, Salamo simply said, mm-hmm. are, we, "Are we not on the air anymore? What's going on?" Apparently not. So, no. Salamo I, simply I'm said, 
Yeah, no, we're all Salamo simply said that you cannot have power without consent, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, of the people. Yeah, so, but that's... that. Uh, I, I don't know if he wants to add something to that, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to uh, jump ahead and... and uh, <laughs> Assume what he means by that. But obviously, it's it's a statement in itself that is that is generally true. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, although it's not always true. Um, obviously, people uh, people have um, been in power without the consent of the population. They're in power by force. So, but uh, for him just to, for him just to say that doesn't really mean very much. It's it's a, just a simple statement. Can I elaborate a little bit? You probably should. Okay, like we're talking about uh, Syria. We're talking about Syria and the uh, the, the power that uh, the U.S. has taken to drop special forces, to establish this, to bomb here, to do whatever they want. That that power is not without consent. It's not without uh, the populace thinking a certain way about the situation. It's not. Uh, without the MSM portraying a certain picture, it, it, it's just not without consent, right? So power is not without consent. And you can say power is taken by force, but force only goes so far. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that, that proved that in history would be Gandhi, right? There was no consent on Gandhi's part. You could have all the, all the force you wanted, but it did not work. So essentially, it has to come by consent, right? So, okay. Uh, do you have a point? Because you're—it's—I don't know if you're leading up to a point or you're—but you're not actually making a point. I mean, it seems like you've made half a point, and you want to make the rest of the point. Well, I was—I was thinking that the soul was going to be followed by a question. I'm sorry. <laughs> A question from us to you. Yeah, it could happen. No. You know, stranger uh, things have happened in life. Power. <laughs> this is our show, I'm afraid. <laughs> You're calling in, so. Uh, power taken, power is, is, does not happen, or people don't get power without consent. Very good. Power uh, does not happen uh, without yeah, consent. That means this war does not happen without consent. That means yeah, the, right. whole, the whole farcity behind Everything that is going on in today's world that you guys are reporting on does not happen without consent. So instead of focusing on, which is a a, a reactionary stance, focusing on what happens because we give that power, why do we forget to focus on power does not happen without consent? Where does that power come from? How do we give it over? Yeah, well, we don't give it over, obviously, but uh, people people do. Uh, most people do, and then most people do because they're lied to. Yes, it's it's manipulated consent. It's false consent, effectively. If people were told the truth about what actually happens in their name, they would not consent to it. Okay, well, they're let's not talk told about- the truth. They're told lies over and over again. They're told flagrant lies, and they're given the told exactly the opposite of what is actually happening. Well, what happens when you try to convey truth? Truth usually is followed by, from my experience, a controversy, uh, a conflict, denial, justifications. So to convey truth is actually something that is, that is hindered and uh, uh, 
it, it, it's just not a viable way forward. Telling the truth is not a viable way forward. It may, it may not be people, no. but... Uh, no. Hold on a second. Understand, that, uh, understand the reactionary forces behind it, the programming behind it. Where somebody who conveys truth is automatically vilified, put into uh, conspiracy theory, put into whatever category has to be, it has to be put into in order to nullify the message that is trying to be brought forth. Yeah, well, not not across the board, but by by, by the mainstream media, by governments, and by the largest people in society. But there is a a large, a significant percentage of the population who are are silent and who can receive that truth without having the reaction that you describe. And it's those people that we uh, talk to effectively. We're not talking to the people who have the, the negative reactions to truth, who kick and scream and say it can't be true and, and, and kind of try and shut us up. We're, we talk directly to the people who uh, kind of almost paradoxically, the people who are silent and who, uh, who don't actually necessarily repeat it very much. They don't talk about it, but they are, they're interested in it. And we have quite a lot of evidence that there are people like that, quite a lot of people like that who do exist and who value us spreading the truth and are receptive to that truth. And we uh, focus on those people by and large. Of course, we might try and pick one or two off from the, from the people who have been manipulated and lied, you know, and they kick and scream a little bit. But by and large, it's for the people who are open and ready to accept the truth and want to hear it. So with that in, into consideration, and we take into consideration before when we said power doesn't happen without consent isn't it rather important to reach everybody else instead of preaching to the choir so to speak no why you want to change the world I that was just a very quick response I was hoping for an elaboration well, no. Well, why would we? Why would we try and uh, try and convince people or, or uh, influence people who have made a choice and who clearly, when you try, you might try once, try and convince them, and they clearly don't want to be convinced. They have a real problem with it, and it they don't like it. They don't receive it very well. It doesn't appeal to them. It's not their bag, you know. So um, those people, no, I just walk away from them. I'm not going to waste my time on those people. I mean, the thing is, we're not directly talking to people anyway. We're put, we're sending out a message, sending out a signal, and it's available to pretty much everybody on the planet or at least everybody on the planet who has the internet access to the internet uh, so those people are free to make the choice themselves those that want to pick it up uh, and, and run with it they can and those who don't are free to do, do that as well and we're not going to force it down anybody's face or anybody's neck we're not going to uh, try and coerce anyone uh, that's, not what that's not what we're about okay well it just seems interesting to me that you use, use a lot of words like coerce, you know, something yeah, uh, well, something negative, all in the negative, which is perceived into you will think like me, kind of like a cult like following instead of uh, it's just information that people um, may not get the first time around and I'll get the second time around, but eventually, hopefully, and this is the key word, hopefully. So much hope yeah, what do you want me to, but what, what, what more do you want us to do other than actually just spreading the, spreading the, the word freely, spreading the truth freely? No, but why are you getting defensive now? And this I'm is not, what I just, meant when, when I had said before that defensive comes in comes in automatically as a form. It's 
I shall be defensive. I shall be defensive. Uh, but why? No, I'm, it, there's no, nothing well, it's to not, be defensive. It's not defensiveness. It's, it's just, you're an, wrong. You're, it's just you're an wrong observation. Defensive thing. Yeah, but it's a wrong observation. I'm not defensive. I'm just getting frustrated because you're not really making much sense. Well, you could uh, be frustrated, but why are you being frustrated? Just because you don't get not it doesn't much mean sense. that other people don't get it either. Well, I'm right? talking to you, and you're not making much sense to me, right? So, what I'm still struggling with what his point or comment is. His, his, his point, his, his, po- his point I, seems to be that we should, uh, you know, that the 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 powers in this world rule by consent, and that we should try and overturn that consent uh, in some way, so that the power no longer retains power. It, it take well, away the consent from the people, or inform the people so that they do not give their consent to people who do bad things in power. Uh, I'm simply start. saying that. I'm just simply saying that it's not possible to do that because a large percentage of the population in our in our experience is not interested in listening to the truth, uh, no matter what way you sell it to them. If you if you simply tell them something that conflicts <coughs> conflicts with their pre-established beliefs, that uh, they they do not want to go there. They're almost physically unable to go there because I've told this story before as well that uh, one person that I tried to tell. Uh, uh, to talk to about the the situation east versus west or russia versus uh, the us uh, and this person was very much in the in the western camp and i tried to point out some details uh, about how that was how the western narrative was wrong was uh, was full of lies and manipulations and i did it in a fairly moderate uh, uh, kind of way just introduced some concepts and the person stopped me and said listen uh, I'm going to stop you there because uh, I don't really like listening to that stuff because it hurts my brain. Uh, he actually said it hurts his brain. Uh, so that, well, what he was saying was that the, for him to try and absorb information that conflicted with his pre-established beliefs and the things that he needed to believe to maintain his own cozy kind of worldview that made him feel safe, uh, when I introduced things that threatened that safety, it actually physically was painful to him in some way. And I think there's a lot of people like that, and that's why a lot of people don't go, uh, don't don't you know, kind of step outside their comfort zone and stick to the things that make them feel good. Like America's great, America, freedom and democracy, and where is Aleppo? The American dream, and I don't care about the rest of it because it's too complicated, you know. So we've had enough yeah. experience that there are a lot of people out there like that, and we're not going. And this is why I use the word coerce. We're not going because we would have to coerce such people into accepting the truth. So we're not going to try and coerce people to do that. I mean, we'll just continue to broadcast the message, like I said, to anybody who is receptive to it. But we're not going to try and push it on anybody or take any affirmative action to change anything. Uh, so that's where we're coming from. Those those were some brilliant points, by the way. I, I really like them. But all right, all in well, listen, all, if, we, if we've come to the point, just let me be devil's advocate before I leave, please. If we've come to the point where it's not worth it, then why bother? Yeah, well, we we, we, we tell the people uh, who are interested and who like coming back, people keep coming back and listening to this show and reading our website and reading our articles because they like to, I mean, they don't just get the truth once and then go away happy for the rest of their lives. They like to come back and and, and, and read the same kind of message over and over again and, and reconfirm to themselves that what they what they now see to be true is, is still the truth type of thing. So we have to keep... Uh, Keep those people on the up now, supported, keep them buoyant and let them know that there are other people who, who share their, their views and stuff. So we do it for those people, you know. But listen, Salamu, thanks for calling. Uh, we're going to let you go, okay? Oh, yeah. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. 
Uh, okay, folks, we ran a bit over time there. We are going to hit the road. And uh, thanks for calling uh, to our callers. Thanks to our chatters and to everybody else. Uh, we will be back next week, Harrison. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll be back next are week with another show. Oh, he's just gone. wait. He's are we on? He's gone. He is there. Can you hear us? Yes, exactly. Okay. But we are here, yeah. Yep. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to do our our little uh, musical exit. And yeah, like I was saying, I hope everybody right. has a good evening and we'll be back next week with another show on, to be announced. Until then... Thanks for listening. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye, people. Bye-bye. Thank you.